Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 242. Plan the work and then work the plan. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Gama Aguilar. Gama, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Let me just say my mantra, breathe and look up, I'm ready to go. <laughs> look down the track. Oh, yes, absolutely. Gama is a technology and racing junkie. He was originally born in Mexico, and he grew up in his dad's shop, and it was there that his passion for cars was hard-coded into his skull. After several years of working in the bleeding edge of technology at Hewlett-Packard, Intel, and Microsoft, he decided to try and disrupt the motorsports industry with track attack. Track Attack is a GPS-based lap timer, video recorder, and sharing platform for Windows Phone, iOS, and Android phones. Gamma is an avid racer going on his second year competing in the Pro 3 class in time trials with NASA. When he's not on the track, you'll find him working as a senior product planner at Microsoft, training on the simulator using Forza and iRacing. So, Gam, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Mark. I really appreciate being here. You're welcome. As you mentioned, um, I was uh, originally born in Mexico and, and kind of grew up in a very – or was brought into the world in a very humble area and family, and we eventually immigrated to the U.S., and um, it, and through that, I went through a, a number of different experiences. But uh, eventually, I ended up spending a lot of time in my dad's shop, trying to stay out of trouble and <laughs> kind of being forced to be stayed out, keep out of trouble. Right? Sure, yeah. So it was kind of there that I don't know if I had a moment, but just uh, you know, day after day, being around cars and working in the shops and cleaning up cars and cleaning up the shop, that uh, that interest kind of uh, took took hold of me, and uh, I've been a gearhead ever since. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful story. I love it in so many ways. I just had a guest on the other day that immigrated here from South Africa, and he told a really compelling story about um, coming to the United States and creating a business, and uh, it was Lance Stander from Superformance. So mm. you probably know those cars. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he makes some really fast cars. So wonderful story. Well, we'll hear more about what you're doing and what you've done, but as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. 
And this is one of those sayings that's been instrumental in forming your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Gamma, take the wheel. Absolutely. So this quote um, kind of got introduced to me only about four or five years ago, but uh, it's something that's resonated with me in, in a way that I've approached a lot of, of my life and the things that I do. But this quote comes from um, the current chief marketing officer at Microsoft. His name is Chris Capicella. Mm-hmm. And he's a really intelligent guy, really charismatic guy. And I, I've been blessed enough to be able to be around him um, on a number of different occasions and kind of sharing a lot of his mantras and then also like his vision and stuff for the organization, uh, uh, having previously worked under him in his organization for several years. Mm-hmm. And he said the quote that, that I, I absolutely love, which is basically is plan the work and then work the plan. Mm. And I don't know if he came up with it or who came up with it, but he talks about it a lot. And what I like about it is that even he self-proclaims, right? It's just, I know that he's a super sharp guy, but even he says, you know, he says, I don't think I'm the, the smartest guy out there. And I don't think that that usually the smartest people out there end up being the most successful. Mm-hmm. You just need to be smart enough <laughs> and right to come up with what it is that you want to go after, what it is that you want to focus on. But once you decide that you want to go on on down a certain direction, it's really, really important to spend time up front planning that work or, you know, another phrase might be the measure twice and cut once. Oh, yes. Right? It's just planning that work and then after you, you feel like you've done a, a decent job and you can go overboard with that too, but, you know, just plan the work and after that, just work the plan. Uh, I just love that mantra, and uh, like I said I've been blessed to have a number of examples in 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 my life where uh, it's really been able to pay dividends. Absolutely, it's a wonderful concept, especially working on special projects. And can you give me an example of how that mantra, that quote, has worked for you? Say when you're developing Track Attack. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, this is probably the uh, one of the easiest examples to do, but Track Attack being a GPS-based lap timer, video recorder, and a sharing platform in one on a smartphone and then a, 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 a platform on the site, it might seem at the surface level like it's relatively simple, what it's doing, mm-hmm. but it's actually super complex. And as you get into actually developing the software and actually writing the code, you run into a lot of like uh, scenarios where in, in software, you literally have to write instructions. And I don't know how many of your listeners are into software or if you have maybe looked at it, but if you ever looked at an actual page of code that's written, mm-hmm. it literally looks like a script that says, if this, then that, if <laughs> yes. this, then that. Yep. And the challenge is, is that in a lot of cases is, is if you as a developer don't think about the if situation, mm-hmm. then software crashes because it doesn't know what to do, right? right? So when we started on Track Attack, myself and my partner, we had to spend, I think we ended up spending about eight months of planning and prototyping and architecting of just trying to validate that concept that we could technically actually use the GPS sensors in a phone to be able to do lap timing. And we could record the video at the same time. And then the last thing was, and we could take all that stuff, and in a lot of cases it being HD video that you're talking about, you know, one gig, two gig, three gig files when you're you're recording a half an hour with a video, that we could technically be able to upload that via Wi-Fi to a web service of which actually still today very many um, uh, companies don't do. So we had to spend several months just 
putting together a plan, testing the plan to see if it was even viable. And then we were able to actually execute the plan. And, and I'm trying to think back to the actual timeline, but I want to say the very first discussion that uh, I had with my partner when we were thinking through, hey, we think we can do this, or we, you know, this is the idea that we, that we have in our mind, right. was on a November of, I want to say it was November of 2012. Wow. And we worked and planned, put together a plan, and did not release an actual product into the marketplace until the following October. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a lot of planning and a lot of working that plan. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, you know, that first product that we released, it wasn't perfect either, right? Sure. So yeah. uh, it was flawed and, and uh, we had to make a lot of adjustments. But it's just being able, I think, to kind of what I said in the very beginning there is that being able to really pause and think through what we needed to do and then start to execute it over time, it would have been, it would have been super easy for us to have given up you know, the second or third track day that we were out there right. and testing code and we come back and then nothing works, right? So <laughs> yes. it, just, uh, it takes a lot of perseverance to do it and to be able to execute against your plan. Absolutely. I love that. Hey, tell me a story that instigated your passion for cars. Tell me about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. You know, I, I was thinking about that um, leading up to this conversation, and I can't think of a moment that in time where I was like, man, that makes me, a, like, I know I'm a car guy. Mm-hmm. But I think what happened is there was a lot of moments growing up, and just kind of maybe it's through osmosis or, <laughs> you know, the process of being around cars and whatnot, but uh, all the time that I was always interested in it. And the way that that passion manifested itself was, Early on when I was a, a kid, I want to say, I think I was 10 years old when I did my first job on a car, mm-hmm. I changed a radiator. And what I really enjoyed was the challenge and the process of working through something and being able to, you know, do something new, try yeah. it out, it being hard and being able to actually be successful at it. <laughs> uh, so I think that kind of drew me into being interested in being around my dad and his shop and working on stuff. And over time, gradually, I became a car guy, kind of uh, like modding cars. And uh, I'm mildly embarrassed to say that I, I was caught up in the wave of the initial Fast and Furious back in the early 2000s. And <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> a lot of us were. <laughs> yep body kits and 18-inch wheels and low-profile tires and yeah. all that stuff. So I was really into that stuff. But I think the the moment that tipped me over where it was, it's no longer I'm, I'm just a car guy and I like modding them and um, I like to be around them, but like really where I said I want to devote a significant part of my life around cars is actually when I took my first high-performance driver education course mm. with a performance racing school here in, in uh, Kent, Washington. Oh, yeah. Don Kitchen in his school. Yes. So I did the one-day HPDE course with him and my wife and a few other friends on a really rainy um, November uh, afternoon, uh, right around actually maybe a year or so before I started on Track Attack. And I went into it with driving this uh, 2008 Subaru WRX STI Mm -hmm. that I had modded. Upgraded turbo and huge wheel, huge tires, awesome suspension system, great brakes, all this and that, right? And then my wife, we had an Evo, she had an Evo. We went there and we were super proud of our cars, and we thought, you know, we could do whatever we wanted in on a racetrack because we have these incredible cars. And we get there and we're going through the drills, and we start realizing that, man, these cars are awesome, 
but we suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing not at you, but been there, done that. And yes, I did Don's school as well. He's been a guest here on Cars, yeah. And I think a lot of people learn that just because you have a hot car doesn't mean you're a good driver. Yeah. Not even close. And and I think you're lucky because I did the same thing. My first vintage race was on a rainy day. And I think going out there on, in the rain forces you to slow down. The car breaks loose faster. You can learn yep. things a lot quicker. I, I think it's a great time to learn, but it's, it's a wonderful comment. I love yeah. it. I can understand completely. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I think that was the moment. Yeah. Uh, there is just, uh, I, I realized that there's this whole other world of cars where it's really your ability to be able to extract the most out of a car. And yeah. and I was like, man, I've wasted so many years. And I don't really think I've wasted them, but I, I felt at the time like, if I could just take back all the time and the resources and the energy that I put into modding this car and I could have just gotten into driving a car yes. earlier, oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, I think that's right. That's great. I love that story. Let's crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty, and I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your career or in your life along the way. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome the situation, and even more important, what did you learn from it? Yep, yep. I know that we're talking over Skype here, and and you see the picture of me. um, And so I tell people sometimes a story or when people ask me how I was growing up, and they're surprised by it. But I used to be a a pretty – chubby not just chubby but like a extra chubby kid growing up mm-hmm. uh and actually you know in my family uh, all my siblings were born skinny like twigs and <laughs> as they grew up they got uh a little thicker mm-hmm. and we were all healthy now but uh, i was the opposite where i was born and my mom has several pictures of me and man i was just a chub cake mm-hmm. and Growing up, uh, that continued up until uh, I got into high school. But growing up, you know, you, the uh, typical things that come along with being overweight as a kid uh, came along with it, right? Being made fun of and stuff like that, not just by, you know, friends and people at school. But uh, one interesting thing about uh, being Mexican is that in the Mexican culture, at least in my family, mm-hmm. whatever it is that the physical insecurity that you have that's blatantly out there, that becomes your nickname. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So if you're short, your your nickname is Chaco, which yeah. means basically slang for short. Yep. <laughs> if you're chubby, your nickname is Gordo. Gordo, right? yes. See, see. Uh, so, you know, I grew up with a lot of that. And um, I remember at one point I was tired of that. And uh, I had started playing football. I think my freshman year in high school, I started playing football. And uh, after a year, I was like, all right, I've gotten in a little bit of better shape, which is great. But I'm still chubby, I'm still unathletic, and I play football, but I basically go to practice and get beat up on Mm -hmm. all week long. And then I go to, when we have a game, I sit on the sidelines and I don't get a play ever. So I can't remember the day that it exactly happened, you know, after my freshman year in high school, but I basically said, you know what, I'm tired of this and I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to, I don't want to be fat anymore, so I'm going to do something about it. And I don't want to, if I'm going to play football, damn it. I'm going to be really good at it. The things that I remember specifically of what I did was uh, that day moving forward, I said, I'm no longer going to eat junk food. I'm no longer going to eat tortillas, which in Mexican culture is like blasphemy, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 basically every meal you have at least five tortillas. So I did that and then uh, started working out and uh, even more. And then I remember in practice just saying, you know what? It, it hurts to get hit, but it hurts less when you hit other people. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> that started off into you know a thing where um, by the end of high school, I was actually um, a 
not great, but I was actually a really good football player. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being just in incredible shape. And I think we talked about it a little bit earlier about like the uh, planning the work and working your plan and having grit and being able to persevere through adversity um, and just pushing harder. All those things I think were being developed there at an early age is just being able to persevere and go from being a, you know, I, I think I was about 4'10 and might have weighed about 185 pounds. Oh my goodness, yeah. To when I graduated high school, I'm not very tall now either, but I think uh, I was like 5'6 and 135 pounds. Wow, what a transformation. That's yeah. awesome. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that personal story because that is something so many people struggle with. And when you're a kid and you're struggling with it, even worse. And I really commend you for that tipping point that you hit. And you just decided, hey, I'm going to change. And you did. And it's absolutely fantastic. And especially for a young kid to do it, I think is uh, exceptional. So thanks for sharing that story. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments when the headlights came on and of illuminated your way for a new idea or a direction and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success so uh, uh i'm gonna tap right into track attack here yeah great and and kind of the genesis of that so uh i went to college and um, i got a, a business degree and whatnot and i was very fortunate enough to have an internship and so i my career got kind of uh, started off with uh, on a rocket working at Hewlett Packard, um, and then shortly after that, I was recruited and working at Intel, and, and I did a couple. I did one job there, and for uh, just under three years, and I got recruited by Microsoft, and I came to Microsoft here in Seattle, and my career was advancing at a pretty rapid pace. Where uh, I look around all the different rooms I was in, and who I was working with, and whatnot, and I was a, a solid fifteen. 10, 15, 20 years ahead of everybody else of who was in the room with me. Wow. And so I felt really proud of that. This is going back about four or five years ago. I remember just thinking to myself, man, I feel like I've accomplished a lot and my career trajectory is great and I'm making a great amount of money and all these great things, but there's something inside me that just isn't being appeased. <laughs> I, I got like an itch. I got something that just will not go away. Like I just don't feel satisfied with something. Yes. What it ended up taking actually was I had to go to New York for work, uh, New York City. I gathered a couple of different books that kind of around like motivation and um, trying to find your focus and whatnot. And so I decided I'm going to extend that trip out uh, by a few days and I'm not going to spend time really with anybody. I'm going to spend it just all alone, and I'm going to go for runs, and I'm going to journal, and I'm going to brainstorm and just try to like explore a little bit more about what that itch is. Mm -hmm. And what came out of it was that I had a burning desire, as egotistical as it might sound, to create something. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> to, to build something, right? Yeah. And build something tangible. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, when it came out of that and I said, all right, well, I want to build something. I'm really passionate and knowledgeable about technology. But I, uh, at the time, I, and I still not an expert developer, right? But I'm like, all right, so I love technology, but I don't know how to develop. I don't know a developer. And I love racing. So let me figure out how to how, how to mix all these together and do something with it. And I struggled with it for a month or two. And then um, I ended up having a, a lunch of fate with one of my coworkers at uh, Microsoft. And we were just chatting and we were talking kind of about not work, but just passions and whatnot. And he's telling me, he's like, man, I have all these really great development skills. And I feel like I'm getting away from the, the, my core technical skills. As, and now that I'm a 
program manager. I really want to go back and just build stuff. Mm-hmm. But I only have – he's like, I have really crappy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all my ideas suck. They're <laughs> – they're not awesome. They're not exciting. They would require a huge sales force to go and try to like sell them and whatnot. Yeah. And and I said, uh, his name is Manu. And I said, Manu, I might be wrong, but I have some good ideas, I think. But I don't know how to develop anything. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. it was that aha moment there where we said, all right, well, why don't we just um, sit down and brainstorm and come up with some ideas? And uh, it was kind of a match made in heaven. Well, I love your story in so many ways because uh, it's a combination of what Cars yeah is all about, people finding a way to wrap their passion for automobiles into a vocation, or in your case, a product development. But I've just started reading a book this weekend called The Art of Work by Jeff Goins. Yes. And it talks exactly about what you were saying. And the first step there is awareness. And that's when you were saying that you were aware that there's something missing in your life, something you had to go out and do something, and that's what it's all about. How about proudest career moments? Is there one in particular? I guess you've had many, but one you could share with us? Yeah, thinking about this, I, I, I struggled for a little bit, but uh, I think the the one that I think is up there right now, and it, and it may not sound like it's that much, but in my last job at Microsoft, I had the privilege of being asked to be a business manager, um, which is kind of like a chief of staff for uh, a leader at Microsoft. He uh, was the head of market research for the whole company. Wow. And um, when he, I used to have worked in, under his organization, a couple layers under him for my entire time at Microsoft up, and, up until this last uh, year. And when he asked me, to be to take that role, um, I was really intimidated just because uh, he's a extremely intelligent person. He's actually a direct report of uh, the chief marketing officer, mm-hmm. and uh, in that job, you know, your job is to basically help him run an organization. Uh, when we're talking about a hundred plus uh, high level professionals and the work that the organization does, and um, Microsoft being a significant player in a lot of industries, it's mm-hmm. the amount of money and the amount of people and lives that are impacted by the decisions that this man makes or can make is significant. So when he asked me to be his basically his right-hand person, I was really, really intimidated. If just being around that type of extreme, I guess, let me rephrase that. I don't, yeah. I don't know if the word is extreme personality, but, you know, um, you, you hear a lot of... Yeah, <laughs> Intense. Yeah. Yes. Intense person, right? And they just extremely intelligent, yes. organized, and he really is legitimately in, in a whole other level in terms of ability to process information and to be able to think on his feet, interact with a variety of people. And so, anyway, long story short, I ended up working under him and uh, for two and a half years, uh, about a year longer than we had agreed um, would be about the time frame. But it ended up being awesome, and um, I. The reason I'm really proud about that is that I was able to step into a space that was completely new to me where the spotlight was on me all the time, both from him, you know, his uh, uh, peers, which are significant leaders at a huge company, mm-hmm. and the people that work under him. So 100-plus people, and we're talking thousands potentially of uh, research vendors that help support the organization and the work that they do. Etc. And uh, so there was a lot of pressure there. It's a whole different stage to be working in, and to be able to not just do the job but do it well, and to be able to build good relationships with him and everybody around them, 
it was extremely gratifying and again just that ability to persevere but that was just an awesome moment uh, for me in my career so far and has really helped instill confidence in me that in almost no matter what new scene or what new group of types of people that I need to step into to be able to advance something mm-hmm. I think it's instilled the confidence of like I'll be all right very cool well congratulations yeah you'll be I think you're I think you're all right there Gama you're doing just fine hey let's have a little bit of fun here yeah. What was your first really special car? Yes. Uh, so here comes that story about Pacific Raceways. <laughs> so I've owned a ton of cars for better or worse, and probably for worse because of the, the lack of investment value that you get out of cars. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. It's uh, an investment in fun sometimes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. So the first really, really special car for me was actually that Evo that I mentioned that was my wife's car. Mm -hmm. We bought that one for my wife when I had the uh, Subaru WRX STI. As I started getting more and more into racing, I started realizing that the Evo might be a better platform to uh, take to the track from a reliability standpoint than the STI. And so that car progressed from being my wife's car to my car to my dedicated track day only car and then eventually to my race car. Cool. And I really loved that car and loved it because it was, uh, although I had worked on a lot of different cars, I covered every inch of that car as I went through the different progressions of like just modding it for being a street fun street car to a track car to completely gutting it for a cage and turning it into a full-on race car. And <laughs> I, I poured my heart and soul into that car. Yep. The positives about it is that I've had I had a lot of awesome experiences with that car. It really uh, helped accelerate a lot of my learning and development as a driver. And the negatives about it is that it's a you know an Evo for uh, it being a four door sedan. Uh, you think it wouldn't have that much uh, uh, capabilities, but as well, probably a lot of your listeners know they have a lot of capabilities, and with that all-wheel drive system and the traction control systems, they can hide a lot of your deficiencies. Yes, um, right. They can instill a lot more confidence than what it is that you might actually have. So, uh, one day going on uh, about a year and a half ago, um, it was the second to last NASA event, NASA Northwest event here at Pacific Raceways mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Yeah, and on the Saturday, uh, we had had overcast but sunny and dry weather and uh, it was uh, a really great day uh, was able to improve my lap time significantly and it was just awesome throughout the day and then that Sunday it started raining off and on kind of at not full-on thunderstorm actually I think there was lightning later on in the evening but basically kind of like uh, some cells would move in with a bunch of rain soak the track and then they would leave section. It would leave sections of the racetrack dry, but others with standing water yeah. and mm-hmm. all the stuff. Right? Sure. So that day, you know, um, uh, I was like, "Great, rejoice! It's rain, and it's the best place to be able to push your limits, at a push your skills at a, a slightly lower limit." And I remember being on the on the track throughout my sessions and just saying, "Hey, just focus on pushing yourself, little by little, right. little by little." Right? Yeah. And um, as we talked in, in the pre-show here about Pacific Raceways and the configuration, Pacific Raceways has a very long straightaway. Uh, I think one of the longest ones on the West Coast. And turn one at Pacific Raceways is a uh, right-hander, slight right-hander. Very you, slight. <laughs> yeah, and you take flat, right? Yeah, yeah. Take, don't take, do not lift in turn one. 
That's right. What I had been doing um, as I had rain tires um, uh, on the car was right before the turn one, I was full throttle and I'd lift just a little bit, make sure the car was balanced, and I'd take turn one with just a little bit less speed, right? Just like, all right, keep myself safe and make sure everything's good. Just keep, uh, keep going, a little, going a little bit slower. And I think it was the third session of the day I had been building confidence and building confidence. And I started noticing that I, not only was I driving well, but I started lapping some of the cars that were actually faster than me in, in the wet. Sorry, in the dry. Wow. And so I was like, okay, all right. You know, my whole goal as, uh, has been to be the best driver possible. And I even have some uh, delusions of grandeur of potentially, <laughs> you know, uh, pl- uh, playing in some of the pro ranks at some point. And I remember that faithful uh, lap. I said, "Okay, if I were a pro race car driver, I would not lift." So I decided to take that turn, uh, turn one, stay in it, not lift. I remember being in it, slight turn to the right, and next thing you know, the back end comes out. Yes. Uh, uh. So I ended up, unfortunately, going off um, on turn one at 138 miles an hour. Oh, uh, did and you go off to the right there? It did, yep. Yeah, that's where you end up. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Oh. And um, uh, lucky again for me, um, uh, part of my methodical plan of uh, approaching race car driving was like, hey, if I'm going to be pushing the limit that hard, then I'm going to have all the safety precautions with it. So yeah. uh, excellent cage that I was able to test its capabilities. Oh, and- <laughs> no, nobody wants to test that. yeah. And uh, oh, wow. so that that car sits in my heart quite a bit, and uh, I, I still have aspirations of one day um, recreating it. Yeah. Um, just because of how awesome that car was, but that day that car made it made its maker. Oh goodness! Oh well, I appreciate you sharing that story. Sad as it is, but uh, I've seen that happen many times. I've seen people do that right in front of me in that corner. It's a yeah. dangerous corner, especially in wet conditions, because that little bump there. But uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Well. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned? You said you said you've had a lot, but is there one in particular you've owned that you really wish you could have back? Is that the car? <laughs> uh, no, actually, well, because I, I didn't sell it, uh, well, I you know I lost it. Uh, but <laughs> the, the the car that I did, uh, uh, um, I regret quite a bit uh, selling was actually the the STI that I had at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up selling it for a um, selling it because I. Uh, this is part of my addiction with cars. Uh, there's no logic behind this, but of course I, not. I, I Doesn't really, need to be. <laughs> yes, and there almost always never is. No, uh, but uh, I really wanted a GTR. Really, ah. really wanted a GTR. Yeah. So uh, uh, I, I have a lot of seller's remorse because I ended up uh, selling it after I, you know, did a lot to that car, the STI, and then I ended up buying a, uh, a GTR. And I, we can talk about that later on, but uh, <laughs> I really, really regret uh, selling that STI just because, uh, you know, I, I owned it for two or three years, I think about three years. Uh, I'd done a lot to it that I really liked. It wasn't over the top. It was it was just perfectly fine. And if I could go back, I, I wouldn't have sold it at all and just eventually stopped driving it and just let it sit there in my collection. Yeah, yeah, great cars. Well, sorry to bring those up, but I do with everybody. There's always those vehicles that we wish we had. Is there a car that you've bought that shortly after you said to yourself, what was I thinking? 
It was that GTR. <laughs> Same car. <laughs> yes. It fits both of those molds. <laughs> yeah, well, the STI is the one that I uh, I have seller's remorse on that I regret selling, and I regret buying that GTR just because uh, it's a great car, you know, and it was right as I was getting into track days and not into racing all the way yet. Once you get into it, it's like, great. Uh, I, I feel like I've heard of this phrase before. It's congratulations, you own a million-dollar house, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's one thing to own and to be able to buy a million dollar house it's a whole other thing to be able to maintain it yes and be able to do things with it right and what i found with the gtr is that it was awesome it was an absolutely awesome car but if i were to think about taking it on a track day and changing the oil change you know replacing brake pads and rotors and uh dealing with the heat issues from the transmission um expensive car to run that's right, tires, et cetera. Oh, it yeah. was super expensive. Yep, yeah. It eats the budget fast. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Track Attack uh, in general, but two things very specifically uh, about Track Attack. So with Track Attack, uh, it may seem at the surface that you know it's an app, and it is an app, um, but the app is only an entry point to data. And what we're trying to do is build something that's way, way bigger than the app itself, and it's more around a community where we enable people to really easily collect data. So basically, you know, not have to buy that three or four hundred dollar GPS lap timer dedicated mm-hmm. device; just use your phone, and then be able to store that in a place where it'll be easy for them to share and compare with other people. And what we're uh, about 75% done with, and we've actually gone out and got feedback from some early users, and we're hopefully going to roll this out in the next few months, Mm -hmm. in the the next couple months, is we're building basically the Wikipedia of racetracks. And the way that you can kind of envision this is, uh, imagine you know you're going to a new racetrack, or you know you had mentioned earlier, Mark, that you hadn't been to the you you haven't been to the ridge yet, but you right. want to go there. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of having to rely on just showing up that first day and 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 ha- having to rely entirely on the instructor and having that be your first time that you experience it, imagine if you went to basically a Wikipedia page of that uh, racetrack where drivers and the ownership, et cetera, from people who have been there are contributing their knowledge as a community. Uh, yes. Right? Uh, about the racetrack. Yeah, very cool. There's a and then imagine there's a uh overview. There's somebody who uh has recorded a session using track attack, uh a lap where you could see the actual data overlay as they're driving it and they're talking it over so that way they can start understanding the line and the surface and how to drive it. And then the last thing is imagine if at the bottom there there's a real live leaderboard where you could see what a lap time is. What, what's a fast lap time for overall? What's a fast lap time by the different types of driver levels? What's a different uh, a fast lap time by the different types of cars and classes, et cetera? So that way, you know, people can really go in there and contribute to the knowledge base, but also learn from it, right? And and mm-hmm. be able to really uh, start understanding and, and getting up to speed on a racetrack before they even have to be there. I love that. You know, that is so cool. I've had several track instructors here on the show at Cars, yeah, and so much of driving is in your it's between your ears. It's not in your, your foot or your rear end sitting in the seat or your hands on the wheel. It's it's in your brain. And I think what you're building there is going to be absolutely incredible. It's just incredible. I love it. It just sounds awesome. Now, here's a real interesting question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? 
So I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out because it isn't. Um, I thought about this for quite a bit. But, you know, I think I'm going to be something like that Lancer Evo where I don't look like much, uh, right? (laughs) Hey, you look better every day, buddy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I don't look like much and uh, I'm not the the tallest. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest. But, you know, I feel like I could – I can really do a lot and uh, and just grunt through and be able to push and persevere. And uh, I really think that cars like the Evo and some of the other kind of – uh, hot hatches and maybe a little bit even the STI, but things like that, uh, where they're not super expensive, but damn, they can they can really go head to head with basically any car at any budget. There you go. I love that. Great answer. I love that question. It's one of my favorites. So Gama up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at carpegear.com, where you'll find the little red racing car. An award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at CarpeGear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Gamma, we're back, and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? It's more fun to drive a, fa- a slow car fast than a fast car slow. Ah, uh, yes. Sounds like something Don Kitch would say. Yep. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Probably um, staying fit. Ah. Uh, staying fit is a, fre- a fresh body. It gives you a fresh mind. Yes. Great advice. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah listeners you think they would really enjoy? Two things, and obviously the first one I'm, gonna be su- I'm super biased on, but trackattackapp.com. For the value, there's nothing better out there to help you uh, get uh, feedback on how you're driving out there. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is um, one of my not friends, but a person that I've met, uh, Ross Bentley. Oh, um, yes, he's he been on a, the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he puts on um, a great uh, monthly or weekly newsletter. Speed Secrets. Uh, that's right. So I, I would suggest everybody go out there and check that out and definitely buy the books. Yes, Ross's books are great, but I get his uh, emails every week as well. And the bits of information you pick up there, we talked about that earlier, going to the track prepared first in your mind is really invaluable. It's really inexpensive compared to what you get when you sign up and receive those. So absolutely spectacular. Yep. Would you share a book that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? Again, I don't want to cop out on this one, but uh, Ultimate Speed Secrets. <laughs> yes, um, Ross's book, yeah. I literally have that on my uh, uh, bookshelf, and um, I reread it probably every 10 months, yep. just little by little. Yeah, it's a great book, great resource. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at com slash gamma 
Aguilar, and that's G-A-M-A. His last name is A-G-U-I-L-A-R. All right, Gamma, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you, especially someone who's had so many cars in their garage. If you could only have one collector car, and I'll include one race car in this question in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? So hopefully I'm uh, I'm gonna set a new trend here. Um, uh, so I know a lot of people like the classics. I, I um, would love a hopefully classic in the future, mm-hmm. a uh, 2000 Honda Civic Type R. Oh, really? Now why that car? Really unique, uh, available only in Japan. It's a uh, you know a typical Honda Civic, but just a really great um, uh, out of the factory uh, sport package, and it has a variant of the B sixteen one point six liter uh, engine, the oh, dual yeah. overhead cam engine. Yeah, great engine. They have there is that that one revs up to twelve thousand RPM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, just incredible when you think about that. Have you ever had a chance to drive one of those cars? I haven't. No, okay. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. I think it'd be a really fun car to drive. Yeah, you have set a little bit of a new trend here, but that's great. I love it. That's why I like like asking that question. Well, Gami, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that Honda Civic Type R? Slow in, fast out. <laughs> Perfect. I love it, especially coming from a track guy like you. That's great. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Track Attack? Yep, absolutely. Uh, www.trackattackapp.com. And then uh, you can also hit us up on all of our social channels. So on Twitter, uh, just at Track Attack App. And then the same thing at Facebook. So just Facebook uh, slash Track Attack App. Awesome. Great. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything. We've talked about here today at carsyad.com. Just put Gamma, G-A-M-A, in the search box. His show notes page will pop up with all of these links. You can check them all out. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. And Track Attack just sounds awesome. I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and, and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.